Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hi there, I'm Josh Raymond. Glad to have you along here on The Inner Life for this Tuesday, May 18th. It's actually the birthday of John Paul II. If he was still alive, he'd be 101 years old today. 101. (laughs) Uh, Well, let me ask you as we start the program here, are you familiar with the idea of birth order? This is the concept that children behave in certain ways based on the order in which they're born. And it's some of those uh, behavioral traits they carry on into adulthood and throughout our lives. So if you happen to be the firstborn child in your family, well, you have your parents all to yourself for at least the first couple, two, three years of your life. And your parents, they're able to devote all their time and their attention to raising you. And as new parents, they want everything to be perfect perfect in the way they parent, uh, because they are. They're raising you, their perfect little baby. But they're more likely to do everything by the book. They'll disinfect all the surfaces, all the toys, the bottles, before you, their precious little child, would, would ever come into contact with anything that isn't completely sterilized. And they'll have all of those safety precautions installed around the house. You make sure that everything is just perfect. Now, also, as that firstborn child, you see your parents able to do all kinds of things, different tasks around the house, different things that they're taking on. They do them perfectly, at least in the eyes of a two- or a three-year-old child. And this can lead you to the desire, that desire for you to want to emulate that perfection in everything you do. So the firstborn children, they can be those perfectionists, those rule followers. They like that structure. Now, If you're in a family with three children, this is kind of that typical birth order idea. On the other end of the spectrum, then you have the youngest, the baby in the family. And if you're that baby in the family, well, supposedly you've been doted on by your parents. Your parents, they've relaxed in the way that they parent and they realize that, well, we've already had two other children and not everything has to be perfect you'll probably be fine even if you get a little dirty from time to time. You know, if you scrape your knee, it'll be all right. It'll eventually heal. But as the youngest child, you also see your two older siblings, and they're trying to accomplish different tasks, and they make mistakes. They don't do it perfectly. If they pour a glass of milk and milk spills, uh, they misjudge when to stop. You know, it spills over the, the table and the kitchen floor. It's all right. It gets cleaned up. It's not the end of the world. If they're learning how to ride a bike and they keep falling over and over and having to try again and again to learn that balance, to be able to pedal and make the bike go forward without falling, you see that it's okay to make those mistakes and keep trying. So the baby of the family can be those fun-loving people, the easygoing people, but also because they may have had more of that attention as the youngest in the family, they might be a little more self-centered, self-focused. Now, the middle child, if you're in the middle, you might get a little overlooked. 
Your older sibling, they're able to do everything first because they're the oldest. They go to school first. They get their driver's license first. They get to experience all those different firsts in life. And then your younger sibling, the baby of the family, like we just said, they get that extra attention from your parents because they're young. They need more help than you do. So where does that leave you as the middle child? Well, it might mean that you get into a few more fights with both of your siblings just because you feel like you do get overlooked or things aren't quite fair in your eyes. It also might make you look to develop stronger friendships with peers outside of your family. But it also might help you to be a more self-reliant and well-adjusted individual. Now, my mom, she grew up as the middle child of three sisters. And she's a pretty big believer in this concept of birth order and some of the common personality traits. And I've heard about it since I was young. You know, it's, it's always, oh, that person must be a firstborn if, you know, they're very meticulous or very detail-oriented. Um, uh, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But I've done some reading on this myself as an adult. I'm not completely sold on it, but I understand the concept. And my mom, being the middle child, she said she definitely was the rebellious one out of her sisters. She really identified with that feeling of being slightly overlooked. And so today, that's what came to mind when I knew we were going to be talking about the virtue of hope here on The Inner Life. Hope is one of those three theological virtues that we hear about, and St. Paul especially, he makes reference to all three of them at the end of that famous part of his letter, the first letter to the Corinthians. It's in the 13th chapter And it's where he talks about love. You've probably heard it many times. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love never fails. Um, At the end of that chapter, he says, so faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And, you know, we hear that regularly about love. We hear it in so many ways. God is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? But we also then hear about the virtue of faith quite commonly. We live our faith. We practice our faith. We profess our faith. We're saved by grace through faith. But sometimes, at least for me, I don't know if this is the case with you, but hope, that virtue of hope, it can be kind of like that middle child. It's the one that gets overlooked occasionally. It can be that one that doesn't get quite as much attention. And so today here, we'd like to make sure that we give hope its attention on the inner life, and helping us to look at this virtue and how we can practice it in our lives, grow in that virtue of hope, is one of the regular voices that you've heard many times here on the inner life. Father Peter Arminio, he's a priest of Opus Dei. He's a widely sought speaker in preaching retreats and days of recollection. Uh, Father Peter, welcome back to the inner life. So nice to have you here today. Great to be back, Josh. It's been a a, a while. Yeah, well, I... Not because I, I avoided it, but just scheduling and all those kinds of things. I know you're a busy you're a busy man uh, uh, doing the different treats and and the uh, <laughs> the the retreats and the days of recollection. And uh, if somebody actually wanted to uh, be able to visit one of those retreats, be a part of one of those, what's the best way for somebody to find more information out about that? Well, I, I live in Chicago. Um, they could go to the, the retreat center is called Shelbourne Retreats. So if that person goes there, and it's for men or women, college or high school, there's, there's a priest retreat. There's even a bishop's retreat now. So it's always kind of aimed at certain groups of people. There's Spanish retreats. Uh, so I would do that. Um, but maybe uh, if that person goes to the opusday.org, and, uh, because there's retreat centers all over the country, you know, connected with Opus right. Day is one 
near Boston, one in California, one in Texas, one in Florida, one in New York. One, so anyway, uh, there's no uh, lack of possibilities. Wonderful. So, that's what I would suggest. Excellent. All right. Well, Father, as I mentioned today, you know we're going to talk about this virtue of hope. But um, before the program, I told you I'm a big fan of defining terms. I like to say, okay, let's start so we're all on the same page with what we're talking about here and not just assume that we all know, you know, this word or that word. So maybe right. we can start with the word virtue. You know, we hear okay. that quite commonly, but how does the Church define a virtue? Okay. Well, virtue is... a uh it comes from a Latin ver- word, virtus, which means strength um, or power. Uh, those are the two translations. And basically, uh, the traditional definition of virtue, which uh, I guess ultimately would come from Aristotle, but the Church has certainly incorporated it, and that is uh, a formulation of a good habit. And they call that a power, because now I have the power to be courageous, or now I have the power to be humble, now I have the power to be temperate or kind, uh, anyway, or have I have a greater sense of self-control. And and, and uh, it's a good habit. I mean, that's the short definition. And it is acquired through good, virtuous actions. Uh, usually, it's uphill. But you've acquired that virtue, Thomas Aquinas says, when you can do, perform that virtue at will. I could always now give up that cherry, that wedge of cherry pie. You know, I, it, I don't break out into a convulsions or, or uh, a rash. Uh, at will, I could give that up. At will, I could get out of my comfort zone and greet everybody in the room. Why? Because I've practiced that. At first, it was a little bit difficult but I go against the grain. It's, 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 it's kind of like a skill. I mean, if I'm going to learn how to hit a, swing a tennis racket or swing a golf club, I need to perform good swings. And eventually, I will acquire that skill. A virtue affects my whole persona. It affects me as a person. Now, those are the moral virtues. And so it's a repetition of good actions. Now, our topic that is on hope, well, in the Christian sense, that is a theological virtue. Every virtue but those theological virtues uh, are acquired through repetition of good action. And that makes that, that a virtue changes us. It makes us better, gives us more freedom. A vicious, uh, which comes from the word vice, uh, also changes us uh, in a negative sense. Uh, a theological virtue is a, a gift. It's a virtue that is infused through the grace of baptism. And that's why they're called theological virtues, because theological comes from the Greek word theos. These virtues come from God. God gives us faith, hope, and charity. They are powers as well, and they also involve our cooperation. But it's sort of like a DNA. If you have the DNA to be a good pianist or a good violinist or a good uh, pitcher in baseball, all right, but you've got to work at it, too. Uh, but it's there. You got the talent. It's just you got to just um, develop that talent, as opposed that you have no athletic skills or not at all. Uh, no matter how much you throw that ball, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna get it over the plate, or you're not gonna be able to compete. Uh, the theological virtues give us the power if we work at it to become transformed into another Christ, basically. 
Right. Well, and, you know, as I was thinking of that, too, another thing that came to my mind is when I think of those three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, they kind of right. fall into a category of time for me, past, present, future. You know, faith looking to what's been done in the past, what's already happened, having that trust, that belief in what's already occurred. Um, love or charity is happening right now. It's in the present moment. But hope is all about what is yet to come, and it made me think of the fact that it's – and this is just my own poor layman's kind of thoughts on this of, you know, Jesus in the book of Revelation. He is who was, who is, and who is to come, and it kind of yes. seems like those virtues encompass that same idea for us here on earth of who we are, who who we were, who we are, and who we look to become, and allows us to kind of share, you know, as we hear the priest every day at Mass say that Christ humbled himself to share in our humanity so that we could share in his divinity. Yes, I think you're correct. Um, but there's another dimension of these virtues, and you're right that hope is a little bit like the middle child, and they both, faith and hope, well, they all overlap. Um, they're all connected. But faith and hope especially overlap because, yes, faith is to believe what has been revealed. Uh, and uh, faith, uh, there's articles of faith that could be uh, concluded through the use of reason, but there's many that are not. You need a special power of knowledge to really accept and believe that in that white wafer after the consecration, that's the resurrected Jesus. It takes faith to uh, believe that you are sharing in the cross, that we're called to the cross, because it's very counterintuitive. So it's acting uh, on knowledge that you cannot see perfectly, or even clearly at times, with your intellect and in your experience. A great example is the miraculous catch. That's an act of faith. It's also an act of hope, but it's an act of faith because these fishermen know that they can't, they're not going to catch fish. They, they went all night without catching it. They're professionals. And Peter even says, he gave some pushback. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Why are you sending us back out there? We're exhausted. We want to go home. You know, we'll you know, try to fish on another evening. But they believe that your word, although the net. In other words, Peter is saying, "I don't get it. I don't understand." But I'm making an act of faith that that you know best, in the hopes that this is going to bear fruit. So you got two virtues there. You know, I'm I'm acting on a knowledge that I that goes beyond me, and I am implementing that knowledge because I hope right. that I catch fish. You know, that also makes me think of where Jesus talks about if you have the faith of a mustard seed, right? That little, little bit of faith, you can move mountains, you can work those yes. miracles. Do, does that also tie in for hope then, you think, if we have that Absolutely. mustard seed of Absolutely. hope? Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, every era is challenging to spread the kingdom, but, you know, you're you know, you really want to embrace the gospel. And gee, you know, we just had Pentecost. We're on the eve almost of Pentecost. No, we just had Ascension. We're on the eve of Pentecost, and we want to. And Jesus has spread that gospel. Um, it's the faith of the mustard seed. Is well, we discipleship is very much like the mustard seed. We are in a ridiculous minority. But Jesus says that we're going to be the biggest of trees, and the birds of the air are going to nestle in its branches, which which is a symbol of winning other people over. 
and really having an influence on the world. And I think that faith is, yes, it is, it's, it's, it's faith that grows incrementally, that you keep growing little by little, like a mustard. You can't, you know, an adventure in insanity is to watch a seed grow. But nevertheless, the smallest of all seeds becomes a very powerful tree. And yes, that is hope. Uh, we, we're acting on both. I, I believe that's true because Jesus said it. It's hard to believe it's true because I'm in, I'm in such a minority and, and, and there's so much indifference and moral relativism and all those bad things. But I believe in, in, in the truth of Christ, what he's revealed. And I'm hoping at the same time. I'm hoping for a good outcome. I may not see it. It's going to be a good outcome on God's terms, which are the best terms. Uh, but so you got, they're, they're, they're connected, but they're not the same. Right. One is a knowledge, one is an expectation. Right. Well, and we, just in common speaking, we can use that word hope in so many different ways, more than just, sure. you know, it, 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 I hope you have a nice trip, I hope you stay healthy, I hope you win the lottery, you know, there's so many ways we can use it, but how can we have a better understanding of what we do mean when we talk theologically, when we talk about Christian hope? Well, I th- one common example is um, we all, you know, the, the hardest, one of the hardest uh, admonitions of the gospel is that we need to deny ourselves and pick up our cross all daily. Right. All right. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, if someone says, well, I'm naturally inclined to suffering, well, then the cross doesn't exist for that person. And so that in itself, um, I'm going to bear my cross, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm sick, maybe I have a terminal illness. Um, now faith has to kick in, and hope does. Faith, well, discipleship requires the cross. All right? I'm going to, I, if I wasn't a believer, I would think suffering, especially severe suffering, is a tragedy. Um, is there a hope? Absolutely. I hope to win graces for my family. I hope to win graces for the church. I hope to become very holy. I hope to become transformed. I hope to uh, enter into eternal life. So that is th- th- those are the two theological virtues that kick in, and love too, because I I'm doing these things also out of love. I mean, yeah. So that would be an example of hope, or even very something very even more ordinary. You know, I try to live it myself. I try to encourage people who come to me for spiritual guidance to carve out time for silence with the Lord, to meditate on Scripture, to talk to the Lord heart to heart. Requires a lot of faith, you know, because I can get a lot more done than just sit in the chapel or even in my room in silence, not being productive. You know, it's an American defect. But no, I believe that Yes, that I, the Holy Spirit's working. I don't feel it. I don't see it. Sort of like working out with weights or, you know, jogging or any form of exercise. I may feel worse after than before, but I, I believe, that's a human belief, that um, I am going to be stronger. I'm going to have more muscle turn, turn, tone. I'm going to have more stamina. And so that's, that, that would be an example of faith and hope. Yeah, I'm hoping that this pays off. Right. You know, I, I'm hoping that I do become a light of the world, that I become salt of the earth. 
uh, through my prayer life. Right. So, why Why bother cal- counting calories if you have no hope of dropping the extra 10 or 20 pounds? Yeah, it's just a waste of time. There you go. Our spiritual director today is Father Peter Arminio. He is a priest of Opus Dei, and we're talking about that virtue of hope. When have you been able to practice that virtue of hope in your life, even in the midst of some different trials or difficulties, maybe some sadness that you've gone through? And how is having that hope in Christ and being united with him in the life to come, having that hope, how has that enabled you to have that joy in the face of suffering? We'd love to hear how you've lived out that Christian virtue of hope in your life. Our studio line is open right now at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com, and we'll continue our conversation about hope right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, a priest of Opus Dei, Father Peter Arminio, and we're talking about the virtue of hope I want to say thank you to Jim Shaper and Nixentovich as they're helping to run everything behind the scenes here and uh, make everything sound great. And I want to thank you for listening. And if you missed any part of the earlier portion of this conversation, you can always go back and listen to the podcast on RelevantRadio.com or through the Relevant Radio app. And uh, Father Peter, as we continue our conversation on hope here, um, one of the things that I was thinking about this morning, I was praying through the rosary, and it's Tuesday, so I'm praying through the sorrowful mysteries. But I knew we were going to be talking about hope. And in the light of all of the suffering that we pray through in those sorrowful mysteries, I thought, you know, where is that hope other than we can look to, obviously, the future, the resurrection, Jesus, his sacrifice, but not just the sacrifice, his resurrection that gives us that hope of eternity. But it also let me reflect on Judas, and his life ends there in despair. And I would imagine there's many things that we could look at and say this is kind of the other side of the coin, you know, the, the, the opposite end of the spectrum. But despair, at least for me, seems like it might be one of the, the biggest areas that we'd look at and say, if you are despairing, you are, you're, you're, you're living a life in the absence of hope. Are there other, other areas, other vices, other um, you know, sins that uh, have that same sort of opposite uh, hopeless effect in our lives? Two basic sins against hope, which happen to be, uh, the Church teaches the sins against the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that those sins cannot be forgiven. And so it seems like, you know, a contradiction in terms where the Lord revels in forgiving. And there's and the Church teaches, our Lord teaches, that there's no sin that can't be forgiven. So how does that all add up? Uh, how does that come? How does how is reason mesh well with our faith? Well, basically, 
it's a given. We need to want to come back to God. A person in total despair does not want, doesn't make an effort to come back to God because he or she has no hope whatsoever of being forgiven or being saved. So they make their will, their freedom is not engaged in wanting to come back to God. God cannot help us unless we let him. I mean, we have the capacity to love. And the risk God takes is that we could misuse that capacity to love and reject God. If we reject God in spite of all his overtures, well, our punishment is self-inflicted. We're deprived of God. That's what, you know, know, if it's permanent, that's what damnation is. Um, Presumption is another one that I will not make an effort. I will not try to avoid sin. Uh, I'm going to act as if God is not there in in the false hope that things will work out. That's called presumption. You know, I won't make, I won't make, I don't know, in the practice, I won't make an effort to live my faith at all. And so that would be a sin against hope. And there's d- different varying degrees. I mean, we all are tempted towards discouragement and disillusionment and a little bit of despair. But when there's a total despair, the case of Judas, we do not know. A uh, quick anecdote of Padre Pio, you know, this woman was distraught because her, her husband jumped off a bridge. He committed suicide. And Padre Pio said, well, he's in purgatory. <laughs> he said, no, he's not. He, he t- took his life. And Padre Pio said, no, but he had repented on his way down. We don't know, you know, God and his mercy and how Judas reacted in those last seconds. We have no idea, you know. Um, I hope he repented. Um, but I remember... I think an illustration of this is this this was a real story that happened to me in one of my younger days in the priesthood. I was visiting this person, a woman who was dying of cancer, and she was very anti-religious, but she didn't mind me talking to her about topics that didn't involve religion. And once I did bring it up, and she threw me out, basically. She wouldn't, didn't want to see me. And uh, I got pretty down about it because I knew she was going to die without the sacraments and maybe a little bit of pride, too, because um, she's going to die under my watch. After I tried to deal with her, she had no inkling to come back. And, you know, none, none at all. Uh, Worse, throw throw me out. (laughs) And uh, uh, seminarian said, hey, you look a little down. I, I am down because of this. I told him this. I was a priest already. He said, uh, Father, um, sorry to ask you such basic questions. Have you said a rosary for her? And I said, well, you know, I, I said, I, I feel ashamed, but no, I have not. Well, it's not about you. It's about the grace of God, so maybe you want to do that. And so, you know, you know how these young people are. They're black and white. But anyway, he, <laughs> he, so he told me. So I did. I, I, I swallowed my pride the best I could do, and I started to pray for her. And she called me up and said, I'm pretty scared. Can you please come to see me? And uh, so anyway, she came back to the church. I, uh, her confession, uh, gave her abs- uh, anointed her, gave her the Eucharist. Then I visited her again. She was in a deep coma, and she woke up and led the people in the hospital in three Hail Mary. So it ended well, but I was, uh, despair is a real thing, you know, and she had despaired. You know, there, there's no hope for me, and I'm not going to bother and, you know, with God, but somehow God touched her deep enough that she did respond. So, anyway, those are those are kind of you know, there's varying degrees, right? Of of of, of these kind of sins, but well, those are the vices. And and you know, looking at those, but then taking it back to 
allowing for that hope. You, you talked about that, uh, those three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity or love, that they're infused into us at our baptism. Yes, um, yes But exactly. the, your story reminds me kind of the story that St. Therese told of when she was a young girl, her parents didn't want her reading the newspaper, but she knew that there was this criminal who was going to be executed for his crimes. That's a perfect story. And she had uh, said, well, I'm going to pray for the salvation of this man's soul. And she had to sneak around to read the report in the newspaper because her parents didn't want her reading the newspaper. But she read that this man who had repeatedly refused to see a priest, didn't want to make a confession, didn't want anything to do with anyone, right before he was to be executed, he asked for a crucifix and kissed it three times. And St. Therese looked at that as being her answer to all of, all of her prayers. But you, you then also taking that time, you know, for the, the rosary that you prayed, that in my mind, it, it says for all of us, you know, we can only do what we can do, but the Holy Spirit can work where we can't. And we're looking Absolutely. ahead to the Feast of Pentecost, um, just allowing for the Holy Spirit to work and us maybe not get in the way and say, I'm just here to, to help when you want me to, but Holy Spirit, you do the work. Um, seems like that that also is kind of a message to take away from these stories. Well, big time, because our hope is what you just said, uh, Josh, to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, and he will invariably do it. Um, And and removing ourselves as obstacles is what you just implied, is when we pray, okay, now we are allowing him to work, and we become conduits, perhaps inadequate ones, imperfect ones, sinful ones, but nevertheless we become conduits. And that's why Jesus said, we will bear much fruit if we unite ourselves to the vine. You know, we unite ourselves to the Eucharist, and we unite ourselves to the Word, which is uh, nourishing ourselves with the Word of God, and we allow the Lord to prune us, not because He wants us to suffer, but so that we even become more effective uh, on God's terms. I'd say Pentecost is a huge ray of hope because it's, it's, it's interesting to reconstruct the circumstances, the environment, the culture of the ancient world at that time. Basically, the customs, the mores, the behavior, by and large, flew in the face of everything Jesus preached. And to make it even worse, his first disciples, they, you know, they weren't exceptionally virtuous. I would say they were great, great repenters, sinners who repented. And we see the power of the Holy Spirit, because then Jesus says, preach to all nations. Are you kidding me? This is so countercultural. Everything we will say flies in the face. We're going to never, what Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to consign you to failure. This will always work uh, if you if you follow me, if you allow the Holy Spirit to affect your life. And, you know, we have history, you know, we're always in the process of uh, spreading the kingdom. But these People, they grew and grew and grew in spite of terrible persecution. You know, people today get very nervous about, you know, the political situation. Well, in the early Christian times, you know, all the emperors were twisted. They were violent. They were sexually perverted. And um, and, the, and the gospel went forward through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, these people had a lot of hope. 
and a lot of faith, a lot of sanctity. So all three virtues kicked in. So we have to always put ourselves in those circumstances when they were cut loose to do that their work. Uh, and they were, they were Jewish, and there was you know ingrained anti-Semitism throughout that empire. So. There you have it. <laughs> Our spiritual director is Father Peter Arminio. We're talking about the virtue of hope. And when have you been able to practice that virtue of hope in your life as you're listening here? Maybe you've had some difficulties that you've gone through. And how has having that hope in Christ, how has that enabled you to have that joy in the face of sufferings, of trials, of sadness that you've gone through? Our studio line is open right now for you to share how you've experienced that hope in your life that Christ gives us. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or you can email innerlife at relevantradio.com. And Father, you know, as we're talking about some of these different situations here, in those moments where it really does seem that we're faced with a hopeless situation, more than just difficult circumstance. You know, you 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 talked about the story of Padre Pio, the man who committed yes. suicide, and I'm thinking also yes. of, you know, any other parent who has lost a child, or maybe a couple who gets divorced, and one of them wants to work on the marriage, wants to try and repair it, the other one wants nothing to do with trying to save things, and just leaves, and there's no hope. Uh, you know, someone who just received news that they have a terminal illness. In these situations where, at least in this life, you know, in our earthly life here, where we say it just doesn't seem like there's any hope for us at all. There's only sorrow and heartache and suffering in the days, the weeks, the months ahead. What advice would you give on how somebody might look at those moments and say, no, wait, there is still hope? There is still hope, and um, it's an opportunity, and this is where the individual, uh, and I put myself in the same situation, uh, has to really exercise faith and hope, ultimately love as well. And it's, you know, I, and I say this with a spirit of faith myself, I mean, I wouldn't wish, you know, uh, an ugly divorce or even a, a mild divorce on anybody right. or a terminal illness or those kinds of things, obviously. Uh, but with that being said, I, I, you know, I would say that it pushes the Christian to find hope in union with Christ. Uh, I have to say this, I, I tell this to people in the spiritual direction, I mean, you know, great men, great young men, great young women, you know, they can't find uh, a husband, or they can't find a wife, or they're married, they don't have children, you know, or the job is uh, unstable. And ultimately, we need to uh, put our priority in doing God's will and uniting ourselves to Christ. Now, I'm old enough to know, I, I personally may not be good at it, but I've seen other people good at it, uh, been very sick or something uh, of that nature or, you know, tough family situation, and it's prompted them to really take their spiritual life seriously uh, because people have told me in tears, the only thing I have, the only one I have left is Jesus Christ. I go, now we're starting to make progress. <laughs> and I, I've seen it. I mean, I don't even need faith anymore that it works, that you, your hope is in, in Christ. And I tell that to couples who, you know, it seems like the marriage or the future marriage is made in heaven. You know, it couldn't be better. You know, they're firing on all cylinders. And I tell them, wonderful, this is great, let's be grateful, but your hope is in Christ. 
do not divinize anything or an experience or each other. It's always in union with Christ. And why Christ? Because he's God. You know, He's God made visible. But it takes faith. I mean, you know, uh, we have to really go beyond our uh, intellectual and experiential comfort zone to be hopeful under some of those tough situations. Yeah, yeah, and, and <laughs> that's one of those things when you're in the midst of uh, some real suffering, even when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I, I've spoken with other people who have been in difficult circumstances, and they'll share that, yeah, at that moment, it just didn't seem, you, you, you have to take one breath at a time, one day at a time, you know, just, exactly. just kind of make it through that, but there is still hope there. Our spiritual director, Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, and we are talking about that gift, that virtue of hope that we have as believers in Christ, as followers in Christ, and taking your phone calls as well here, how you have experienced, how you've been able to practice that virtue of hope in your own life, even when you are faced with those difficulties, those sad moments in your life. How have you been able to live that out? How has it allowed you to grow in your faith, grow in your love for Christ? Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Peter Armenio. He's a priest of Opus Dei, and we're talking about the virtue of hope and how we can live that out in our lives. It's one of those theological virtues. It's one, one that we all have just by virtue of being baptized. If you're a baptized Christian or Catholic, well, you have that virtue of hope that's infused into you. And how do we live that out? How do we grow? How do we exercise that virtue? And when have you been able to practice that virtue of hope in your life? With whatever you've faced, you know, we all have those different sufferings, those different difficulties in life. How have you been able to practice that in your own life? Our studio line here, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father Peter, let's go to the phones. We've got Peter, who's listening in Washington, D.C. Hi, Peter. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I want to share a story. My wife and I, we had five miscarriages in a row and then we had a um, stillbirth and we you know knew for most of the pregnancy that the child would probably not make it Um, we were not catholic i was not even baptized but our kids were in a catholic school for non-religious reasons and it was the it was the hope and the way that that school dealt with those trials and the father at the church there I mean, the hope and the way they faced, showed us how to face trials, tragedy, and death that was instrumental in our coming into the church, and in my case, being baptized. Uh, could, um, sure. could you share a bit of that? What did, 
so that uh, we also could benefit from what you've heard from from your your, your pastor. Yeah, um, we lost five children, um, and then right, I heard that. What? Yeah, and our kids were in a Catholic school, and we were not Catholic, and it was the hope and the way that the church dealt with death that led us into the church and in my case being baptized right and so what specifically peter uh was that witness there of the priest the pastor of your church and and how did that church uh influence you what specifically happened um well, I'll share one. There are many things, but I'll share one. Um, we talked with three Protestant pastors about what was going on, and they were very kind and caring. Um, but then we talked with the father at the Catholic Church, and his first reaction was, oh my, may I bless the child. The Protestant pastors didn't even think about the child. And we realized that in some way we weren't either, just kind of the, you know, abortion culture, I guess. And and we were ashamed by that. And just, yeah, and that the, the hope that, you know, it doesn't end with the death of our children and, you know, that there's just so much more there. Yeah, you have... Five beautiful intercessors who are saints praying for you and praying for the church. Yeah. And you'll see that. Don't be in a rush to see it, but you'll see it. Yeah, Peter, it, you know, my wife and I have uh, had a few miscarriages um, in, in our marriage as well, and every one is a difficult process there. But I also love the fact that that, uh, that parish there was such a witness, that school, the exactly. church there. Yeah, that, and, and that, that says a lot too, Father. I mean, just even if right now, if somebody's listening and saying, well, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I've got some difficulties or some things I'm going through, but life is pretty good. Just being that witness, being that person there that can say, uh, you know, I, I might not know what you're going through, but I really do want to offer any sort of uh, consolation, any sort of encouragement that I can, even that by itself can be such an enormous help and witness um, in allowing somebody else to experience that virtue of hope in their own life. Even if they, they aren't aware that you know they need that, it, it really opens that door. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, in my... Unfortunately, but, you know, God knows what he's doing. I've been involved, and fortunately, because I was able to minister to these great people who've lost children. Um, and, you know, some one lost a child five days, you know, that kind of thing. And, yes, it's a mystery. We don't understand the ways of God, nor are we supposed to. Uh, Mary can't understand it. A couple of times in St. Luke's Gospel, how we... But uh, God does need, because he's willed it so, these angels, you know, they're human, uh, these angelic saints uh, who are praying for the church, you know, because the common teaching is that prayer and holiness is the most powerful tool the church has in bringing people back to God. And so we have these, these little children, these baby innocent children, 
who are adoring God and who are saints, who are providing a big service, first to their immediate family and then for the church at large. Yeah, that, that doesn't diminish the pain of, uh, of physical loss, you know, no question about it. But at a deeper level, it does bring a lot of hope and consolation. And it's not, you know, a pipe dream. We, we believe that this is of utmost certainty. Yeah. Well, and you talk about prayer being that, that, um, that avenue, that conduit there. Um, and yes. one of the things that uh, I was reading through the Catechism on the virtue of hope, it says that the Our Father, this is in paragraph 1820, the Our Father, the prayer that Jesus taught us, it's the summary of everything that hope leads us to desire. Uh, could you maybe give us, just reflect on that for a moment, the Our Father, uh, you know, that that is that summary of everything that hope leads us to? Yes, I mean, if, uh, it's a rich prayer in a certain sense that the whole gospel is condensed into in that prayer. And if you just look at it uh, from maybe the mind of Christ, um, basically you're praying for intimate union with God. Uh, because that good of, of being connected with God, all the other goods of this world, and God said they're good, I mean, things are good, you know, are subsumed in that. And that St. Paul says, all things work out for the best for those who love God. So the, our Father is a way, we, we give God, I'm saying it in a clumsy way, the, the capacity, because he's willed it so, not because he's, he, he doesn't have all, not because he's not all powerful, to give us the very best, that, that things work out. Compatible with the cross, of course, because hallowed be thy name is that we be, that God be holy in us, not that God needs holiness, but that he reign in us. Thy will be done. One of the first pieces of revelation in the New Testament, even older than the gospel, first letter to the Thessalonians, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Thy kingdom come. What is this kingdom? It's the kingdom of joy and peace and consolation and freedom that comes from connecting with God, with Christ. Uh, give us this day. Well, we're praying for our health. We're praying for you know financial stability, but we're ultimately praying for access to the Eucharist. And then the other ray of hope is that we ask for forgiveness, but that's contingent on being willing to forgive others. Right. So it, it, it's it's a tour of force prayer for uh, the blessing of union with God, which subsumes every other good. Father Peter, let's go back to the phones. We've got Don, who's listening in Saxe, Texas. Hi, Don. Right. Welcome to the Inner Life today. Hi, Don. Yes, hello. Can I? I, I yeah, I you're on the air. On mute. No, okay, no, no. Thank you're you. here. Virtue of hope. Thank you so much for this. And for the reminder that Jesus took on all of my pains, all of the pains for all of us. And um, I did a consecration to to Joseph, and and it gave me a, a bigger understanding that not only Joseph, but Jesus took on the human condition. Through yes, his did. ministry, through his birth, at, at birth, and through his ministry to his death, Jesus Christ took on all of my pains. And um, I'm very grateful 
I'm a combat veteran, and I'm very grateful that I am here. And um, I mourn those that are not, those whom were under my responsibility. But Jesus took on all of those pains, and all of that. And uh, and Don, I'm just going to jump in here. First of all, let me thank you for your service to our country. But we're down to just a last minute or a minute and a half here, and I want to give Father Peter a chance to respond to you. Father Peter, uh, it sounds like Don probably has some suffering, and it's been good for him to just have that reminder that Jesus has taken on those sufferings, those pains. Absolutely. Um, and another ray of hope, and, you know, I will not underestimate uh, the suffering uh, and the pain Don has witnessed, you know, in the military. My, my dad was a World War II uh, veteran. He couldn't talk about it. So, uh, but yes, our if we connect our sufferings with Jesus, what he does is he bears our suffering because what he went through in those five sorrowful mysteries is a template of every kind of human suffering, whether it's anxiety, depression, fear, shame, humiliation, rejection, physical pain, spiritual pain, moral pain. It was all there. And so God in his infinite love, and you know, it goes beyond comprehension, rigged up a way because God in himself can't suffer. He's transcendent. But he rigged a way to suffer by becoming human. That that dead, that naked dead man on the cross is not a human person. He's a human being. He's human. He's a divine person. There's only one person in Christ. Christ is a divine person with a divine nature and a human nature. And that gives us a tremendous amount. Does God understand our suffering? Indeed, he does. Does Mary understand our suffering? Indeed, she does. And not only that, if we connect our humiliation and our pain and our trauma to his... Uh, we find our burden is very much lightened. That's revealed. You know, my uh, my burden is light. Um, uh, he says that. So anyway, yeah, and and Don, you know, thanks for sharing, and and we appreciate everything you've done uh, for our country. Yeah, thank you, Don, for calling in. And Father Peter, as we're down to uh, just about our last minute here, could I ask you to offer a final blessing for all of our listeners? Oh, sure. Uh, O most merciful Father, we give you thanks for sending your divine Son to take on a human nature. He is the ultimate source of hope. Help us unite ourselves to that hope. We ask this through Christ our Lord and the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. May God bless you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Peter, for being our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life. And uh, I hope you have a blessed and wonderful Pentecost coming up this Sunday. And I also want to encourage you, as you're listening, if you missed any part of the conversation, of course, go back and listen to the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or through the Relevant Radio app. And want to encourage you to join us tomorrow as we'll be talking about the Sacrament of Confirmation. Uh, As I mentioned, we're leading up to the Feast of Pentecost. Well, the Holy Spirit is arriving, right? And we want to look at that sacrament associated with the Holy Spirit, the Sacrament of Confirmation. That's the conversation tomorrow here on The Inner Life. And stay tuned. Mass is coming up next. Father Mike Brenham is our celebrant. We'll talk with you tomorrow here on The Inner Life.